Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's great to be here for the final instalment of the trilogy. Uh, not a movie series, but of this uh, preaching series, The Extra Mile. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's one that uh, is challenging to not just to possibly to hear, but also to put together and, and present in a way that uh, is palatable and uh, relates to everybody. Uh, so it's something I had to approach. Uh, I, I know it's kind of an oxymoron to brag about humility, but it's really something you need to approach with humility uh, in terms of what is being shared. So I, I hope, uh, and I heard some uh, great feedback during the week around dinner party discussion on how people are taking Sunday messages and uh, that's the place where we go and kind of unpack it and explore it and how it applies to our lives even more so. So I'm glad it kind of stirred some interesting discussion during the week. <clears throat> uh, it's definitely a three-part series where each part is kind of fundam fundamental and, and foundational to build to this. So if you have missed the uh, first couple of weeks, I do encourage you to check out our podcast or you can watch on YouTube, uh, particularly because I might not be able to offer qualifying statements on absolutely everything I say. That's the, the nature of preaching, to try and make it concise. Uh, so I encourage you to do so uh, for that. But for today, I want to start with this question. How does one go about living under an oppressive government that tracks its citizens and makes them do things they don't want to do? Interesting question. Well, let's ask Jesus. After all, I'm talking about the time and the environment that he grew up in. Matthew 5, verse 38 to 42. He tells his followers, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. That's the extra mile. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Some high quality H2O. You see, the extra mile isn't about doing nice extra things for good people. Say you work in customer service and you get the really nice customer who wants to buy lots of things, you put the extra effort in on the way you present and the way you offer them service. Or maybe putting extra effort into a project at work, uh, which incidentally are both places where somebody is getting paid and there's reward and there's opportunity in that extra mile as we might um, know it in our culture today. The extra mile is about going above and beyond in every circumstance, especially when someone is forcing you to do it. The audience Jesus is speaking to here are under Roman rule. So they understood what Jesus was really saying. Now, I don't imagine the Romans had to be too polite when asking people to do something for them. For context, <clears throat> just want to set up a little visual. We're going to have a look at a short video on what it was like living in Judea under Roman rule. It's an animated video. It's dubbed over in English, so just kind of get those things out of the way. So just, 
but I just want to present that in a way that might paint a picture of the time for us. Let's have a look at the screen. people. Then, one fine morning, the Judeans awoke to a new reality. A harsh Roman governor controlled their land and property. This happened in the year 6 CE, when the Emperor Augustus decided to replace the Jewish government with a direct, tough Roman government that would fill his coffers. Even before the Roman governor reaches his magnificent palace in Caesarea, his officials set out to conduct a census. Officials go from house to house, registering every person and his possessions. No Jew will evade the oppressive tax, not even the poorest farmer. Imagine the little boy watching through the window as Roman soldiers beat his father, just because he couldn't pay the heavy tax. This is painful and humiliating, but much worse things happen too. In this burial cave in northern Jerusalem, chilling evidence was discovered of one of the horrific punishments the Romans used to punish those who opposed their rule. Crucifixion. The victim's feet were nailed to one wooden beam and his hands tied to another. He was left to suffer on the cross for hours in the hot sun until he died. And so that everyone would get the message, this was done in a central location. This was the main street of Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago. Here, by the roadside, archaeologists discovered a strange, enigmatic stepped stone structure unlike any found before. People may have been crucified alive right here in the late Second Temple period. The mood in Jerusalem changes irreversibly. Armed Roman soldiers walk the streets, mocking the Jews and their religion. At night, one can hear their wild roars for violent entertainment. But the most humiliating thing is the Roman interference with the temple service. According to the new regime's laws, the Gentile governor now appoints the high priests. Alongside the daily sacrifice to the God of Israel, a daily sacrifice is now offered for the well-being of the Roman emperor, a symbol of oppression and subjugation. The Jews are furious. But from the heights of the nearby Antonia Fortress, they're carefully observed. At the smallest sign of defiance, the Roman soldiers will confiscate the high priest's garments, putting an end to the holy temple service. What can be done in these circumstances? The high priests and the wealthy Jews know well what the Romans are capable of doing to rebels. They also believe that the Roman occupation is a divine decree not to be opposed. The Romans close in on the Jews from all sides, and with the appointment of new governors, the situation only grows worse. The new governors, even more corrupt and greedy than their predecessors, see their appointment as a chance to get rich quick at the citizens' expense. They stop at nothing to extort the last pennies from the people of Judea. The lives of the Jews under the Roman governors eventually become intolerable, truly hellish. And in such situations, it's hard to react reasonably. The voices of those who can no longer remain silent grow louder. Messiahs and prophets roam Jerusalem, declaring that the end of days has come and that the evil Roman Empire will fall in a great tumult. 
In the Galilee, a group of freedom fighters forms under Judah the Galilean. They swear they'll never serve mortal masters. Only God above. Some of them join radical underground groups, such as the Sicarii. These attack the Romans, but also rob and murder their rich established brethren, whom they suspect to be collaborating with the enemy. And sometimes I wonder how I'd react if I were there. Would I accept the humiliation in silence and let the Romans treat me like dirt? Or would I fight for my life and dignity, knowing I was endangering myself, my family, and perhaps the whole Jewish people? And how about you? What would you do? It's an interesting, uh, difficult environment, and that's the context of where Jesus is telling his followers. If someone asks you to go one mile, go with them too. Because the, the Roman soldiers could say, hey, take my coat one mile. Jesus is saying, if they ask you to go one, go an extra. Now, we might not be under Roman rule, so why is this important to us? Well, we need to understand how we should act under government or authorities that we may or may not believe in or agree with. It may not be this year, maybe it is, but there will be times as governments come and go that we will disagree. Let's examine what the Bible says about government and authorities in Romans 13. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants, who give their full time to governing Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. If you want to uh, cross-reference that, I'm not going to read through it because it's a longer passage as well, but 1 Peter chapter 2 uh, has very similar themes in terms of uh, submitting to authorities and how to behave under authority. It's 1 Peter chapter 2. So, should we and can we engage with these governments and authorities? Well, we're in a democracy and there are methods and legal ways to have voices heard and to engage. Some people are called to bring influence and represent Jesus in those environments and do it well. However, I also wonder if some are trying to lead with their ideologies and opinions first, refer to the last two weeks for that context, focusing on their rights 
and shouting from the rooftops. Ironically, in speaking against fear, against the very thing they're decrying, many seem to be propagating and spreading the very same fear, rather than the message of Jesus and his message of faith, hope, and love, and of him laying down his rights for others. So, finding this comfortable so far? If we are worried about governments, authorities, and their decisions and impact on us, how far can we let it go? Fair question. Is there a line that is too far? The life of Joseph and Daniel are good examples to look at. They both lived under a ruler they did not choose, but they lived justly and gained great favour under their rulers. Daniel served his new king so well after being displaced from his homeland, he was gaining favour to the point the other Babylonian advisors were jealous of him and tried to trap him by forcing him to stop praying. That is where Daniel kept the first commandment, keeping God as number one and trusting that no matter what happens, God was in control. That was the line for Daniel and would be for us if we are being asked to worship something else as above God. Also note, in this process, Daniel didn't kick up a fuss. He just kept praying and trusting God. And then that's where we know Daniel in the lion's den. In similar ways, the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus. In Matthew 22, verse 15, then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Familiar from last week? Is it, to, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. What Jesus says and demonstrates is that you can honour both God and rulers at the same time through your actions by doing what is right, which is covered in Romans and 1 Peter chapter 2. So, Ultimately, when decisions are made by those in authority, how do we respond? Do we act with humility at all times? Do we trust that even if we don't like the decision, that God's will can still be outworked? Do we trust in our skill sets of influence? Or do we trust in God, that all things will work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose? After all, Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6.12 Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If we are engaging at a practical level more than we are engaging by prayer and trusting God, I'm not sure things are going to work out the way we want them 
and try and make them happen? Are we putting more trust in our effort or in God? Do we, and are we focusing on our rights, rights, or are we modeling Jesus who laid down his rights? I want to share a couple of, I've had a couple of examples in my career where I've had to choose to lay down my rights with those in authority. See, it's not just about governments and rulers, it's bosses and workplaces and uh, other environments where there are authority. Even in church, we have pastors and authority. How do we respond? Think on that one. <coughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I've had uh, yeah, two distinct times where I've had to choose to lay down my rights. Uh, one was mainly for the sake of relationship, but both were the, for the sake of my heart and keeping a sweet spirit and trusting in God for the situation so I can move forward with my life. In Sydney, at a workplace I had, I had Christian bosses. Uh, many challenges, structural changes, and position movements that uh, at the time, and still believe, were not done correctly or handled appropriately. They impacted me and uh, Carmen greatly. Uh, in that process, I got uh, legal or employment advice uh, about the situation. And there were problems, and there was a case to, to be put forward. But ultimately, I laid down pursuing my rights for the sake of long-term relationship and being able to move forward in myself, in my heart. In Adelaide, in a previous workplace, uh, I was used as a scapegoat by a CEO in an environment where there was great manipulation and uh, insecurity in the leadership, which a lot of it stemmed from. Again, a restructure was brought in to try and kind of cover up things, and this time there was a veiled uh, voluntary redundancy offer, which was kind of weak and uh, token at best. I had a choice to make. I chose to put the needs of my family first over my ego and not take the easy way out. I laid down my rights in pursuing compensation and a better situation, uh, even after learning that others had sued my workplace and CEO and won in similar circumstances. I persevered through the trial, stayed in the workplace, and the work I did over the next 10 months was actually instrumental in me getting the, the role or in the workplace I am now, which I have had great favour and a really solid work environment through personal trials and has been a great blessing in the last uh, four and a half years. On my way out, I had an opportunity to give the CEO a serve. Uh, everything I thought on the situation and their leadership. But after much prayer and consideration, I chose peace. I chose to praise those around me and make their lives better on my way out for the sake of their working lives and also of any future connection. It's just wisdom, not burn bridges. Uh, I might come across these people and work with them again in the future. Neither situation was easy at the time. A lot of heartache and things to work through. Both workplaces presented choices and decisions to make, even though I wasn't a favour of either choice. It wasn't a choice of, that's a great option and that's a bad option, so clearly. It was neither choice was an easy one to choose. I needed to assess the consequences, both personally and in relationships. 
Those situations are in the past. But sometimes the mind wanders. Who's been hurt in the past? The mind wanders very easily. And a heart check and prayer are needed, again, just to leave it in the past and move on. So it's not, I'm not saying it's easy, and it does come back. But you've got to keep dealing with it, keep pushing through the process. But <clears throat> if we know what we believe, what unites us, as we talked about in the first week, if we know who we are, what our identity is, and where our authority comes from last week, then it's a whole lot easier to be trusting God in the situation and live through it and to be able to walk the extra mile. And I wonder, what blessing is on the other side of you and me laying down our rights and going the extra mile? I am convinced my heart and mind are in a healthier place, having laid down my rights rather than pursuing and gaining financial benefit. In one or both of those circumstances, there, there could have been that outcome. My career and income also accelerated quicker after both of those incidents, or those, those workplaces, and I expected, uh, faster than I expected in both times. And right now, as I stand here before you, there is another window of opportunity that might be opening up in the next few weeks in my current workplace. Laying down our rights needs to start with the small things. Because if we can't do it with the small things, then it won't happen with the big things and the big issues. As, in a, re as a recent example, something we can all relate to, how have we responded with COVID regulations and requirements? How did we go with masks and check-ins? What was your response initially and how is it now? It's a heart check to see how we respond to such decisions and authority in our lives. Do we look for loopholes and opportunity out of doing the requirements? Now, to be clear, I'm not making or sharing judgment on whether the government is right or wrong in such requirements, or what we may or may not believe are the health benefits of such decisions. I'm presenting a challenge to us all on how we respond to authority in our lives whether we agree with the authority or not. The authority, as I mentioned before, isn't just government. It could be bosses, workplaces, and our pastors. If we struggle with the relatively smaller things in our world that might provide some inconvenience, how will we go with the bigger, more complex issues and resulting personal decisions that might need to be made? I'm reminded of the passage, faithful with the little, faithful with the much. Yeah, we need to be faithful with the little things, the little opportunities, if we want bigger opportunities down the track. Going the extra mile isn't about finding loopholes and seeking your comforts. It's about living above reproach and honouring those that we might find it hardest to honour in our lives. It's also about choosing to lay down our rights, even at the toughest of times. So why the extra mile? Simply because Jesus said so. But he also modelled it for us. 1 Peter 2, 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Verse 22. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not 
retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. The only reason Jesus was born in a manger, in a stable, in Bethlehem, is because the Roman rulers wanted to count and track all the Jewish people via census so they could tax them accordingly. Here's the kicker. The will of God, prophecy, was still fulfilled in spite of or through government decree. God's story still happened even amongst the best and worst of governments and authorities. Jesus being born in Bethlehem was the fulfillment of prophecy. His unfair trial, torture and death were also prophesied. Jesus quite possibly could have defended himself and had a case to the authorities. He clearly had a case. And he was a very smart and wise person, as we saw how he articulated in the conversation earlier about Uh, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But he laid down his rights for the benefit of you and me. Jesus laid down his rights and through unjust punishment and leadership, God's will and beautiful story of redemption played out. John 15, 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. How did he... How did he love us? Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. He laid down his rights. It's an act of love. Cody mentioned earlier in the service, uh, if if people want to invite Jesus into their life, you, you don't have to wait for this moment. You can do it at any time. And you can do that through a simple prayer. Sorry, thank you, and please. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong and doing my way. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Please come into my life and lead me each day by your Holy Spirit. If you want to pray that for the first time or recommit and pray that meaningfully, I encourage you to come up after the service. We have a couple of people down the front for prayer or our pastors or myself. We'd love to pray that with you. If you're online, there'll be a button uh, in the chat where you can raise your hand virtually and our chat host will pray with you and lead you in that prayer too. So, in the first two weeks, we explored, to get to this point, how to live the extra mile. To be able to live the extra mile and go the extra mile We need that strong foundation knowing what we believe, what unites us as Christians. Then, out of ideologies and life situations and all the opinions in our world, we needed to understand our source of authority is our testimony. It's who we are, it's our identity. If we truly understand what unites us and what we believe and who we are in Christ, then that gives us the strength and capability to stand, even when we don't agree. 
And today is why the extra mile? Because Jesus said so, and he demonstrated it through his sacrifice. I'll leave you with this uh, exhortation from Galatians 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Then has not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers.